but it's like I've taken the limitless pill. Like I feel like I've unlocked this superpower that allows me to be so disciplined and so consistent within my life because rather than there being this curve of um, feeling okay, drinking, massive pit, digging myself out of the pit, feeling okay, drinking, massive pit. It's just this equilibrium. And obviously that goes up, up and down with my hormones of my cycle and everything that comes with being a woman. But I feel far more in control of it. So every choice that I make, everything that I put into what I think my dream life is, I feel like I'm just like feeding into myself on a daily basis rather than like taking away energy that I was giving to the wrong places. Hello and welcome to The Journal with me, your host, Lucy Spicer. The Journal is your go-to podcast for deep and empowering conversations that also gives you the practical tools, knowledge and motivation to transform your own life. Join me as my guests share with you the defining moments that turn their times of darkness into opportunities for growth. At the end of each episode, I'll be showing you how to find the lesson in someone else's story by giving you guided journaling prompts to help you change your own life. So for now, join me for our next guest entry into The Journal. Steph Ellsworth is a wellness entrepreneur that has built an online presence of over 250,000 followers since the age of 19. She is a health and wellness advocate, ex-professional dancer, founder of mood-enhancing non-alcoholic spirits company, Carouse. She is the co-founder of alcohol-free day festivals called Dry Disco, director of a non-profit female empowerment workshops called Stay Sassy, and founder of ethical e-commerce store, Sustainable. Her career started as a social media influencer, documenting her recovery story after suffering with an eating disorder. She has taken the health and fitness world by storm with her positive approach to wellness, high energy workout videos, fitness tips, recipes, and honest outlook on life. She became a European ambassador for Nike Women and JD Women and has partnered with other global brands such as Adidas, Volvo, Marks and Spencer, Meta, Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett, and Sky Sports, to name a few. Her refreshing approach to healthy eating and wellness has been featured in numerous health and fitness magazines, including Women's Fitness, Hello Magazine, Grazia and Women's Health, with her most recent feature on BBC News for Dry Disco. I've just come off that episode with Steph and what an episode. She was a complete open book and so generously shared her journey of self-discovery, of building her confidence, of overcoming that inner critical voice to find a compassionate, empowered voice and how she has now turned that into the work that she does today. We talk all about her journey to becoming sober or everything that she has gained from that, how it's improved her mindset, her productivity, her making healthier choices. She shares what a manifesting queen she is when it comes to her business. So there is literally something for everyone in this episode. And I can't wait for you to listen to Steph's entry into the journal. Um, Your bio and all you've already achieved is absolutely incredible, Steph. And there is so much that I want to unpack with you in this episode today. I want to start with your decision to going sober, as I know this is going to resonate with so many of our listeners. Being sober curious and evaluating our relationship with alcohol is a theme I have seen not only with my clients, but also my friends, family, and it is a journey that I'm personally on myself as well. So hi, Steph. Welcome to the pod. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on today. As I just said now, this is going to resonate with so many of my clients, listeners, and I'm sure you're following as well. So if we kind of go back a few years, what made you decide to change your relationship with alcohol and try going sober? Um, This is such an interesting question because I wouldn't say that it was like one life-changing moment when I was like this I need to make this decision it was kind of an accumulation so over the year of 2018 I'd been through a breakup I'd had like my version of hot girl summer I was going out and enjoying my life just partying really saying yes to every opportunity with my friends going out traveling having an amazing time I then met my then part, well, my now partner, Lewis, um, got into a new relationship. We were going out dating and all of these activities were heavily revolved around alcohol. Yes. So then the following May of 2019, after maybe three or four months of going out consistently, um, my partner at the time was a rugby player. So I'd be going out with all of his rugby friends after a game. Yeah. Um, And obviously they're big drinkers, right? And they can put alcohol away. And little old Steph could not put away the same amount of alcohol. (laughs) Was little old Steph trying? Oh, yeah. Oh, she was confident. She was going for it. But it was more so like I would never get so drunk and disorderly that I would, well, in my opinion, embarrass myself. Obviously, I can't fully remember. I probably did a little bit. Sure. Um, do, Do it sober now. So I must have done it drunk. So then it would be more the next morning. I would wake up with this heightened heart rate the sense of impending doom and it's just huge anxiety at like cloud looming over me mm. and it was kind of like we'd go out on a Saturday after the game but I'd sometimes still be feeling anxious until like the Wednesday yeah and then I'd feel good for Thursday Friday and then we'd be drinking again yeah and it was this accumulation and I was like where is this coming from like at the time I'd really worked on my mental health I was really happy in this new relationship And I just thought the one common denominator every time I'm feeling anxious is it's a morning after a night of drinking. Mm. So what could I remove to try and experiment, see if it helps? So in the May of 2019, my partner and I had booked a trip. It was going to be our first big trip as a couple. And we were away for almost three weeks. And I said to him, for this three weeks, I think I'm going to just try and not drink alcohol because I know that I love spending time with you. I don't need the alcohol for liquid courage. I know I'm going to have an amazing time with you anyway. So anytime we're watching a sunset, for example, and we would usually have a cocktail I'm gonna have a fresh coconut and see how I feel and he was so supportive of that idea and was like yeah and actually during that trip he tried to go plant-based so we were both trying out this new way of living anyway I felt amazing like I felt like I had so much energy I was so calm I had such clarity and there was a voice in the back of my mind saying it's just because you've been on holiday like you've just been on this trip of a lifetime with the love of your life that's why you feel all of these amazing things Mm -hmm. so then I got back to kind of the hustle and bustle of London and thought let's try and implement this within my regular routine and see how I feel. So I made it known to everyone. I think about me as if I'm going to do something, I have to tell everyone because otherwise I won't keep myself accountable. So I literally told everyone that I wasn't drinking for a little while. I think I gave it another three or three or four weeks. And again, I was feeling so much better in myself and almost gaining everything in my sobriety that I was looking for when I was drinking. Amazing. Wow. In terms of like confidence, human connection, being my true self whatever um and I just loved it and I haven't really looked back since that's incredible Steph it's really interesting as well that you picked to do that going on a holiday Mm. for me you know with my bias I'm like holiday that means like cocktails sundowners so like to actually have that moment of conscious like a conscious decision for yourself that actually as you said there's all the great factors there I'm going away I'm with the love of my life like 
things are going to be great. So why don't I try this now? Because for a lot of us, alcohol is like an enhancement, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. how can we enhance this activity or this vacation or this celebration or whatever it might be? Um, When we, if we go back a little bit to that, that anxiety as well, how did that manifest for you? So you said, and I can tell you've done some work on yourself, impending doom. She's been using all the buzzwords here from (laughs) therapy already. (laughs) But how did that kind of manifest for you those few days after you you had been drinking? Um, I think when you're in it, it you can't really sense what it is or where it comes from. You just feel uncertain within yourself and your own body. Like I was like, I don't feel like I'm in my body right now. Mm-hmm. And I think in hindsight, what it was, was it was the heightened heart rate. It was the kind of, my brain was just going with yes. all of these thoughts. Like, what did I say last night? Did I embarrass myself? Did I drink too much? all of these things, maybe there's a few blanks in my memory of conversation I can't remember. Maybe I made a joke that was a little bit too out there. And I think it was also the combination of what I was drinking. So whether it was an espresso martini or a vodka Red Bull, like my heart rate would just pound. And I I think it's not only then the accumulation of maybe negative thoughts and negative thought patterns, it's then the decisions and choices you make from that. I would go into this heightened state of anxiety and then I'd make poor choices in terms of exercise. I'd be like, oh no, I'm just gonna lie in my bed rather than going on a walk or doing any movement. I'm Instead of making myself a delicious hearty breakfast, I'm just gonna order a takeaway and just live in my pit of self-worthlessness for today, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that would carry through to the next few days. And it wasn't until I removed alcohol and I was going on nights out and stuff. Don't get me wrong. I still get moments in my mind of going, oh, why did I say that? Oh God, like, oh, did they take that the wrong way? And I overthink things beyond, but I feel more in control of those thought patterns and being able to be like, stop it. This, this thought isn't real, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's it's being able to execute those tools. But if you're in that space where actually this is heightening your anxiety, having that, you know, the fear and um, the consequence of drinking, that's more difficult to do, isn't it? More of those like challenging or those problem solving techniques as you were so beautifully doing then. Um, With that space as well, when you were saying it was affecting kind of choices that you were making, did you notice any um, impact on your business and your mindset towards your business after drinking and when you're in that space? I'll be honest, most of the kind of success of businesses that are currently, that I'm currently working on and the ventures that I'm currently pursuing, they've been kind of brought into reality after I started my sobriety journey right. and the only way I can explain it I, a friend of mine Scott refers to it in the same way is that it's like I've taken the limitless pill like I feel like I've unlocked this superpower that allows me to be so disciplined and so consistent within my life because rather than there being this curve of um, feeling okay drinking massive pit digging myself out of the pit feeling okay drinking massive pit it's just this equilibrium and obviously that goes up up and down with my hormones of my cycle and everything that comes with being a woman but I feel far more in control of it so every choice that I make everything that I put into what I think my dream life is I feel like I'm just like feeding into myself on a daily basis rather than like taking away energy that I was giving to the wrong places yes um so I think the reason why the different ventures I'm pursuing now are going the way that they are is because of that level of consistency and self-discipline that comes with not drinking. That's incredible. What was the term? I love that so Limitless living. Um, the limitless pill. Have you the ever seen the film? The film? No. Oh, I can't remember. I want to say Bradley Cooper's in it, but I think that's an absolute lie. I think it is definitely an attractive white man though. And <laughs> it's basically about, he takes this limitless pill and he he gains access to the other parts of his brain that he wasn't using wow. before. Yeah. And everything that he achieves within that is... It's, 
it's a brilliant analogy that I think a lot of people on this sober curious journey can relate to. A hundred percent. Even just with my one-to-one clients, I've noticed that. And we, when we would do some digging, like I love like finding patterns. So understanding why we're feeling a certain way, why we're thinking a certain way. And I remember a client saying to me, you know, she had these really up up days, very productive, like really strong mindset, really like can-do attitude. And then she'd have a really low day and she was noticing this pattern of like up and down and up and down and up and down. It was impacting in different areas as well with her relationship with her partner. And like you said, with exercise and making better choices. And actually in our work together, we were able to go right. You know, there's other things at play, of course, but one of the big factors was alcohol. Mm -hmm. And we were noticing that even if it was just like a glass of wine to unwind, it was having this direct impact. And since she's been on her own journey of going, being sober curious and cutting back alcohol, it's made the big impact which she speaks like really um openly about as well so it's amazing that you've had that experience for yourself that actually in taking out this sort of cloud that it was creating in your mind everything's been birthed from it and you've stayed on that like straight even kill rather than having these huge dips and coming back up again yeah and i think it is hard because obviously it's the societal norm yes do you know what i mean every celebration good or bad is surrounded by alcohol yes every get together work do whatever it might be has alcohol at its core and that's really hard so for a long time it may be really hard to identify that it is an issue for you maybe not even an issue it's just a hindrance um so i think it definitely when I figured it out and i gave it that trial i was like oh my god this makes so much sense now but i was just like blocked by this blur of just being in the routine of the way that I'd always socialized. I think it's just very heavy, especially in this country. Yeah, I, yeah, it's funny you say this country. So my, um, I think our boyfriends are very similar in their like Iron Man, like my yeah. mum calls him Army Man. <laughs> he is like probably on a trail run now or doing some sort of sport, but he's South African okay. and he's only been over here four years and he's he was really shocked by our culture of drinking and when I go back to South Africa and I'm with his family like I'm the one in the corner having a gin they don't you know they don't really they don't really drink and I think huge part of that as well is they have this amazing like outdoor life there but for us in like British society it's cold we're going down the pub yeah it's so so true yeah so I think it was really eye-opening for him actually how much drinking is a part of our culture and then you know with you and kind of going in your direction or me becoming more sober curious as well it's almost like we're going against the status quo yeah I think so many more people are on that journey now I think especially in the last couple of years it's suddenly had this like light bulb that actually alcohol is really not that good for us maybe even in the same way that cigarettes you know we had that light bulb moment however many years ago that was yeah I think so and I think when you look at other cultures as well like say for example um not obviously generalize or stereotype but say for example the French that adore their wines it's a tasting experience you're not just chugging back beers to get wasted and I think that's the difference whereas in the UK we've got a similar drinking culture to America but our spirits are much stronger our beers are much stronger so you get drunk much faster and all of the negative side effects of alcohol are coming with that and I think one of my main concerns I was I was a little bit nervous to speak about going completely sober purely because I have a history of a eating disorder mm. and I didn't want any of my followers to think that this was a new form of restriction. Right. And I think I had to really unpack within myself. Is this a form of restriction? Because I think it's going to help my body and all of the kind of where my controlling issues started in terms of food or is it because this is a genuine choice for me and I really had to sit with that uncomfortable question and be like, am I restricting from a place of 
negative mindset or Mm -hmm. is it because I genuinely believe this is a problem within my life and within the way that I show up for myself and once I was able to differentiate the two and realize that this this form of restriction is so polar opposite to my eating disorder it's almost like they're in two completely different camps I feel so much more confident within my decision but I just always feel the need to say that within this environment because I would hate for someone to watch this and think oh she's just being restrictive I can do the same and get away with it and it's not about that it's not about repositioning where you're restricting yourself it's about unlocking that superpower and unlocking that consistency in this new open fresher mind that allows to let more good in rather than controlling the bad do you know what I mean I know exactly what you mean I think it's incredible that you had that self-awareness to be able to even create that pause for yourself and and have that moment of reflection and think actually is this another form as you said of restriction and control or is this actually something that's going to serve me and that's why as you know as I shared with you before Steph at the end of this episode there's always journal prompts and it's exactly that space everything that I've written is about actually reflecting on your why first Mm -hmm. would you even want to do it because this podcast isn't about you have to now go sober yeah exactly (laughs) opening up that conversation so is that for you why is it for you how would it serve you and so actually just taking that step back to make sure it's a conscious decision that's that's in your best interest and you're not just doing it like you said because it could be another form of restriction or because you feel that you have to it's so Mm -hmm. important that your why is kind of your why yeah and that's what's going to keep you motivated yeah completely agree with um with this journey step what do you think before how do you think alcohol was functional for you so why would you drink before you went out what do you think your yeah what do you think your why was as to as to why you'd maybe have drinks on a night out was it for confidence was it for escapism like what was your relationship with alcohol that's such a good question because um I wouldn't say that I was ever reliant on alcohol it wasn't a dependency at all it was definitely social drinking not even to the point where maybe I'd have a glass of wine with dinner but it wasn't like in terms of like if I was going out for dinner, but it wasn't like I'm going out for dinner, I must have a bottle of wine with it. It was never like that. It was more so around going out with friends. That was how we would meet up to socialize, whether it was going to a pub and just all drinking together, getting a little bit leery and loud, or going to a club, drinking, dancing, going to a bar, doing the same. Um, Or it was going to work events. When I first started moving into kind of the influencer space, there's a lot of networking events. And that to me is absolutely terrifying. You put people that have a profile and the ego that comes with it in a room together and all of these people give out this this form of like being really confident, right? And in t- inside, petrifying. I'm not a confident person. I sit at my f- with my phone at home all day. Like that's my job role as an influencer, right? So then to be this extroverted person, the moment I saw someone stood with a tray of champagne, I was like, yes, thank you kindly. And I would drink just to get that kind of liquid buzz yes. and that courage to then feel like I was unlocking the version of myself that everyone in that room was expecting me to be. Right. Whereas now I'm like, no, I feel a lot more certain within myself. I know who I am as a person. I know some days I have more energy than others. Maybe someone thinks of me as being this really highly energetic person, but I feel a little bit softer within myself today and that's how I'm going to show up and that is okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that has come with obviously going to more of these really terrifying things (laughs) things <laughs> without the crutch of alcohol yeah I did this it's so interesting you say that Steph because I did this experiment for myself recently so she'll definitely be listening my lovely friend Sophia and um she's I live in quite a small town and it's quite difficult to meet people it's quite like a more of an older town Henley and I was so um grateful to bump into her and we went for a coffee and she's also a female founder she's a she's a financial advisor and she was so kindly invited me to her house this is like my ideal evening she hosted a dinner party with a group of her girlfriends invited me into it and we had tarot card readings as well yeah 
unbelievable Unreal. unbelievable stunning the the um the table is displayed with an affirmation card your own crystals and a um and some lavender as well like honestly perfection and I challenged myself. I would usually, that was nerve wracking for me to go into this new space um, with a group of girls, especially with my schooling history, going to an all girls private school. Yeah. Hideous, don't recommend. 10 out of 10, do not do it. Um, <laughs> Could definitely relate. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, right, well, glasses, a glass of wine. I'll probably have a gin and tonic whilst I was getting ready. And then I'd drink wine whilst I was there to give me exactly what you said, like that liquid, that liquid courage. And I went, no, loose actually I want you to really test yourself this is only a couple of months ago and go and do this sober and I felt so bloody proud I literally sung it from the rooftops like I was texting my (laughs) friends being like I did it sober I loved it so much and I'm in bed by 11 which is very late for me so it's incredible isn't it like how we everything serves as function that we might have that for that you know have a drink for confidence but unless we're testing that out we we won't give ourselves the opportunity to show ourselves actually we can still do it without it I I completely agree. And I think, don't get me wrong, like as much as I've done the work and I feel a lot better after kind of going into my, how long have I been sober? Like four and a half years. Yeah. Um, But even recently I went to a wedding last summer. Like it's very much wedding season between my partner and my friends. And I realized last summer I went to a wedding where it was my partner's friends. Mm -hmm. I'd never met the bride. I'd never met the groom. I didn't know anyone else there. Yeah. And I realized or this is this is an environment that I have never been in and obviously my first thought is if I was drinking this would be so much easier but then I remember that actually no I don't want a super easy life I want an enjoyable life and one that feels good and like really aligns with me and who I want to be so anyway whilst I was there I had the trickling thought of oh just just have one and just settle in no one needs to know (laughs) settle in yeah Yeah. and then I was like no it's fine and then as the day went on I actually got on well with so many people and it was such an enjoyable time that Again, I think sometimes you just need these little uncomfortable moments that really boost your confidence and kind of almost realign you on the journey that you've decided to be on. Absolutely. And just as you just did there, like testing that out. It's so interesting, isn't it? That voice that comes in, it's like, go on, yeah. just a little bit. And then actually be able to differentiate from that and be like, no, putting you to the side and I'm actually going to try this out for myself. Before I came here, I actually was speaking to someone and I was telling her about our podcast episode today. And she was telling me about a recent experience where she's running the marathon. So she's running the London Marathon and she's going to a wedding two weeks before. Mm -hmm. So she told the bride, like, I won't be drinking at the wedding because I've got the marathon doing all this preparation. I need to give it my best shot. And she had a really negative reaction Mm. from the bride um, and saying, you know, why aren't you drinking? You know, it's not going to be as fun. And I just wondered for you, Steph, what has the reaction been, especially maybe in those early days of when you decided that you weren't going to drink and you were going to social events? I think um, one thing I've kind of recognized in hindsight is that you have friends for different reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So I had friends that I've known from school, friends that I knew from college, friends that maybe I met through drinking. And I think, say for example, my drinking friends were very much like, oh, why? Just have one, don't be boring, that kind of chat. Um, But I've noticed over the last four years as maybe I've met new people and my introduction to them is as a sober person, they're far more inquisitive and less judgmental. I think it's more like, oh, that's that's interesting. Can you tell me why? Or did you have an alcohol problem? And or are you pregnant? And there's kind of oh, those yeah. standard questions. Especially now at this age, right? That's the yeah, go-to. For yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think um, my first reaction, kind of looking back a couple of years, was I don't drink, but I promise I'm not boring. Almost like having to justify myself. Right. Um, but I think 
times are changing, conversations are changing, people's kind of perceptions are changing. But you have to remember that when you make a huge choice and decision like this, you are questioning other people's behavioral patterns and their decisions. Mm -hmm. So like if their default is drinking every Thursday, Friday and Saturday, by you saying you don't drink, that questions their like core belief system of what their life is. Yeah. So of course you may occasionally be met with some kind of confrontation or like their perception of having fun is being drunk. So if you're then not drinking, they'll be like, oh, well, we're not gonna have fun then. Whereas I think in the early days, I really went out of my way to prove that I was still fun. So even if I was exhausted, I would still stay out at like two to 4 a.m. just to prove I'm still Steph, I'm still a party girl, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now I have the confidence to be like, I'm off, it's 11 p.m. and I'm done. So I feel like I don't have to prove myself anymore. And even when I met with those kind of confronting questions, and this is from practice, right? Like I didn't just rock up on my first sober night out and just be like, I don't care what you think. Like it wasn't like that at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially being like a serial people pleaser. Like it, right. it was really confronting. Whereas now I, I do kind of, I know what I respect within my own life and it's good quality sleep. It's all of the things that come with that. And so I know that when I'm ready to call it a night, I'm ready. And it's not like I actively think every single night out is going to end at 10 p.m. And that's when I leave. If I'm having an amazing time, yeah, sure. I might stay out until 2 a.m. Mm. But if I do feel like I've had a great time and I'm happy to leave it there, I am not ashamed to be like, thank you so much for having me, but I'm off. And that, as you said, that does take so much confidence, especially, and I know lots of my listeners are, you have those people pleasing tendencies mm-hmm. as well. And you want people to still be accepting you and liking you and not to have any issues with you or say anything about you to be able to hold yourself to those boundaries and to leave actually when you're done. So that's insane, Seth, how you've Thank managed you. to do that for yourself. Um, with that, when you are going out now mm-hmm. and when you're in situations where you're not drinking, but most people are, are you seeing it through a different lens? I, I, are you able to kind of enjoy those moments and those evenings still the same? I think so. Um, a lot of my friends now, like I, I love spending time with them. So like even if they are drinking, we still have a giggle and a great time. Like I went on a girl's dinner just before Christmas. There was only three of us. Two of my friends were drinking and I wasn't. And I don't think it changes the dynamic too much. Obviously, there is a point where if you're in an environment that is heavily revolved around alcohol sometimes strangers that you don't know I find that a little bit difficult if they're like drunk and a little bit messy and they kind of like lean on you and like suddenly tell you their life story because you say you don't drink and then they say that they've got a problem with alcohol and they're like offload yes sometimes I can find that quite overwhelming because I feel like my little like my emotions are like a sponge and I will just absorb it all um so sometimes I find that a little bit tricky but I also have the confidence to just like leave the bathroom if I need to because yeah. it's got a bit too intense yeah um but I think it's it's hard to kind of generalize because every night out is so different and every group of friends that I have is so different um but yeah I think it, it definitely it hasn't changed to the point where I regret my decision at all and I think also over the last four years all of my friends have been moving from like either their early 20s into their late 20s or their late 20s into their 30s. Yeah. So as a whole, I think everyone's perception of a night out, even over COVID as well. Yeah. Everyone's perceptions have changed. Yeah. And I think that's worked in my favor. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we keep coming back to this word. What I'm noticing, I said I love patterns, is using the word confidence. And it feels yeah. like with this, with your confidence building as well, Steph, as you've been on this journey, When did you start that journey for yourself in terms of becoming more confident? Is that something that's always been around for you, this level of confidence? Because it feels like a very important theme to you. Um, I think 
as a child, I was naturally very confident. I was put into like stage school on a weekend and I would do dancing all weekend, week weeknight evenings and everything like that. So I was always like, watch me, I'm in a show. Da, 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 and I just go into any situation. But I went to full-time performing arts school at the age of 14 and I kind of joined during halfway through my GCSE period, new school, went from an all-girls school of like 100 people in a year to then... 20 people in a year wow yeah really terrifying and also they'd <laughs> really already terrifying. they'd spent three years together making those friendships oh, yeah so then coming into that being the new girl never had moved schools before it was really confronting and then I went from a school that was really academic when they had a dance and drama side to it so it was like oh the academics were really pushed but so were the performing arts to so then the performing arts being really pushed and then the academics not right I just felt like the odd one out and I think that's been kind of a common theme there's kind of like a running theme within kind of my own mental health journey that I'm good but not great throughout the whole kind of avenue up until now um and I think my confidence journey started at 14 without me really knowing it okay and I probably started putting in the work for my confidence at the age of 16 and it's kind of been an ongoing journey ever since and I feel like I'm definitely not where I want to be confidence wise at all but I am enjoying now having the awareness to monitor when I feel more confident less confident it helps me make better choices in who I'm giving my time to who I'm spending my time with what ventures I'm pursuing and all of these different opportunities and stuff and I just feel like I have this I may not be where I want to be yet I don't think anyone is ever the finished article but the awareness that I have makes this journey not necessarily enjoyable because it's still confronting a lot of the time but it makes it easier to navigate and also to give myself compassion throughout it which is really important because we can have such highly critical voices can't we and like you said with that belief that's kind of followed you the can you phrase it again for me good but not great good but not great when did you notice that theme first you're good but not great and how did that come was that a comment or is that like a belief that you formed for yourself it's definitely a belief that I've thought um whether it was like I think I've identified it as like a simple name within like the last year okay and I think that's from the work that I've done but I think that that belief system has probably been there since I was about 14 like I'd get an A but not an A star or I'd get um, front row of dance performance, but not center. Or I'd get like a duet, but not a solo. Do you know what I mean? Like these things that obviously are an amazing achievements, I couldn't recognize because it was good, but not great. Yes. And that that level of perfectionism, right? You, mm. It sounds like you either had to be absolute top or it doesn't really count. Yeah. Was that influenced yeah. by the pressure of being at a performing art school? Like, what was that like for you going, making that transition for yourself from um, your all girls private school, represent, to, to, <laughs> to moving into that space and it being, you know, much more performing arts um, dominating compared to the academics and then being in this pool of much smaller people? Was there a lot of pressure that came with that? Or was that pressure you were putting on yourself? A lot of pressure. And, and I think. My parents have been so supportive throughout everything I've done to date, but they said to me, you can only go to this performing arts school if your academics don't slip. So I had the additional pressure of like everyone at my school, they believed that they were just going to do performing arts. So academics wasn't a focus. Whereas I'd had this conditional offer from my parents that I could only be at that school if I got good grades. So it was the additional pressure of wanting to be noticed in performing arts, wanting to still keep my high education. But also I was 14, like it's that transitional period of going from a young girl into an adolescent so that comes with its own pressures as well especially I didn't develop nearly as quickly as 
the other girls in my year. So it's not only comparison in terms of talent, it's comparison in terms of your look and your appearance. It's a, t a comparison in terms of your size, because when I was at performing arts school, there were still these old ideologies of what a performing arts performer should look like. And right. that was basically a rake with six feet long legs, which I just yeah. didn't have the build of a ballet, ballet dancer, which I didn't have as I started to develop. And then you also have the pressure of obviously wanting to be noticed for the roles and suddenly your best friends that you're in a class with are also your competition for the end of year show. And I just think that's such a negative environment to be in as, as a kind of young developing person. And I think people will recognize that whether they've been in extreme sports yes. or kind of pursuing that professional journey there. Um, so I think it was a, an accumulation of things really. It sounds like it. And as you said, it can be such a difficult age as mm -hmm. it is, but then kind of throwing all these external pressures on top of yourself, plus the internal pressures and, and, you know, with having standards like that, that are so unattainable body image wise as well, it must've mm -hmm. been a really difficult environment. We, we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you, you wanted to clarify that this wasn't like a restrictive choice that you were making in terms of um, going sober in a way that maybe your eating disorder had been was that a result of that pressure is that how it kind of manifested for you those adolescent years stuff yeah 100 percent. and it was down to feeling out of control like within i knew that i had to get good grades right and i knew that i wanted to be the best performer that i could possibly be so the pressure that i put on myself was such a heavy weight on my young little shoulders um and it was around the rise of like tumblr as well which was so pro-eating disorder wow, yeah I remember it. And Skins was on the TV and yes. that was very heavily yes. dominated around like thigh gaps and all that stuff. Um, so I just was trying to gain control within every area of my life. And the easiest one that no one really noticed was food restriction. And it started so small um, and it just grew and grew and grew uh, to the point where I couldn't control my food any more than I was. So then if ever I slipped up because I was literally so malnourished. Um, I would then make myself sick because I saw it on Tumblr. So I was yeah. just like, this is the best way to punish myself if ever I've done something not perfect. Yes. Um, so it started to come through. Just, it really, really heightened around my GCSEs. And um, there was just a lot of struggle around that time, I think. Um, and then I changed schools after that because I just thought, nope, that, that was a toxic environment. I'm just going to close the chapter there and move schools. And it was fine. I went to another performing arts school college for my years from 16 to 19 mm -hmm. and again I felt amazing I felt like I had this fresh start and I'd been given this like new lease of life and then second year the pressures got even harder so in first year you were kind of like generalized going through the motion of different classes in different groups of people but then in second year you were put into different criterias there was track a b c and d and they kind of pigeonholed me as being a dancer performer rather than like an all-round performer. And I was suddenly put in classes with the best dancers of my year. And that again, fed that rhetoric of good, yeah. but not great. So again, what could I do? I couldn't, I was working so hard to make myself better. I started controlling my food again, which was a right. hindrance to my progress because I had no energy to get better. I had no, I literally would, had nothing in my brain. Like people would talk to me and I would just be like, <laughs> I actually can't process a single thing because I was so malnourished. Wow. Um, so again, I've noticed that if ever I do feel out of control, those little voices creep back in, in terms of like forming a sense of control within not always food. Now it's kind of moved towards like hygiene and things like that. So like I'm watching it manifest in different ways, but luckily I can notice it and be like, okay, I feel really out of control right now, rather than trying to regain control, what can I release? That's really nice. That's a really, really nice term. It, it sounds like that was a really difficult 
period for you, Steph, and the way that that mm-hmm. all manifested for you, that that pressure, that comparison to then, you know, as the mind loves to do, if we're feeling like the anxiety is too much, it will go, well, how can I control? And for you, it sounds like that was very much food in both parts of those journeys. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to kind of younger Steph and, and her story. And then I've also started this podcast kind of thing, listening to Steph now, who sounds like really confident and sure of herself. Um, when was that turning point? When, when, when did you get to a point where kind of enough was enough with the controlling the food and wanting to change that for yourself? Um, it was actually my favorite teacher at dance college. I was passing out in classes. My hair was falling out. My skin was just gray. And I think it was just visibly noticeable that I wasn't very well. Um, and he pulled me to one side and was like, you need to speak to someone. And I was like, about what? Like, just not just in complete denial about what I was doing to myself and my body. And I actually got called into the headmistress's office. And she said, if you don't sort whatever this is out, we're going to have to ask you to leave. So rather than her kind of meeting me with compassion, seeing that I had like an issue with my mental health, it was like, we will kick you out. And that kind of tough, I don't deal well with tough love in general. I don't deal well with criticism in general. Mm -hmm. I think because I'm already criticizing myself to like the nth degree anyway. Um, My immediate thought went, my parents have given up and sacrificed so much for me to be here. If I'm kicked out, I'm letting them down. So rather than me actually showing myself compassion of I deserve to be nourished and healthy, it was, oh my God, I'm letting my parents down, really feeding into that people pleaser yeah. mindset. So I went home and my mum was obviously aware of what had happened at my previous school. So when I told her that it'd kind of come back, bless her, she felt so awful for not noticing it, but you become superhuman at hiding things and like lying to suit this demon in your mind that Mm. is like feeding these negative thought patterns. So I hid it so well from her that of course she was never going to notice it. I was wearing baggy clothes. I would always say, oh, I ate on the way home. And just all of these excuses that she wouldn't question because we'd always had a trustworthy relationship. Um, So then I said to her like, okay, it's it's come back. It's really bad. I think I need to speak to someone. And I went to my GP and I have no idea. I've got so many blanks in my memory during this time. And I don't know if it's kind of because I was so malnourished or because it's like trauma and you just block it out. I don't really know. I went into the GP office and I must have said something quite harrowing because I think I was there in the December and I was in therapy at the Maudsley Hospital by the January. Yes. Um, And I kind of called it my angel and I was going there once a week and I was like a stroppy teenager. The first session I went to, I just didn't want to open up. I didn't want to speak about it. I didn't see myself having a problem. And then there was a moment um, when I was in a waiting room and I saw a girl that I went to school with and we kind of locked eyes and then looked away and it was like we'd never known each other and I was just like oh that's really sad that she's here too and then across the kind of hallway from me was a woman who must have been in her 50s who was literally skeletal her hair was falling out she had minimal teeth and I felt like I was looking into my future and I was like if I don't speak to my therapist now and actually open up this is where I could end up and I'd lose everything I'd lose the performing arts that I trained so hard for I'd lose the respect and trust of my parents and I just kind of really felt like I was looking into my future and I think from that therapy, um, it was just change, a life-changing moment in terms of like, one, understanding where everything was stemming from, and two, actually knowing that I was I was worthy of eating and I was worthy of fueling my body in the right way. Um, and I think there's just been a few knock-on effects. And don't get me wrong, like that environment was really tri- triggering. It was like a white clinical room. You had to weigh yourself every time you were there. Yeah. There was so many, th- you had to keep a food diary, but because of 
this food diary that I had to keep I could never always remember what I'd eaten so I just started taking pictures of it and then that's what led to me launching my Instagram no yeah so like if I hadn't have had that eating disorder I never would have launched my Instagram which meant I never would have built the platform that I have to then launch the ventures that I have so without that kind of traumatic experience I would not be even on this podcast so I I feel like I don't I don't advocate for people going into traumatic experiences but like look for the good that comes from it and the learnings that you gain yeah and how everything then starts to interconnect but it sounds like that is such an important moment for you in that waiting room Mm. that it suddenly became and eating disorders are really difficult right my 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 background was in the nhs working in um with in a feeding clinic as well different around neurodevelopmental um diagnosis and feeding but still it's that real rigid mindset you know it's Mm. really hard to break through and actually help a client find that motivation to want to change yeah especially with disordered eating and it sounds like that was the moment that was the shift for you that it, it shifted from you doing that for just your parents to you actually recognizing i need to do this for me yeah and then that voice being, it sounded like during that process, that voice was nurtured into you then and was so nice to hear that you suddenly realised you were worthy of changing and healing and doing this work. Yeah, I think so. And I think just even from starting the social media, being open and vulnerable breeds beautiful conversation with other people that crave being open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think from that, even just speaking to people who are going through something similar or whatever, I think it's just constantly fed into me that like we are all worthy of of being the best versions of ourselves but we've just been told for so long or we've been led to believe for so long that, that we aren't mm. um and there's so many things working against us that we just have to really fight to look for the things that are working for us and the people that want to see you succeed and do well and I think I've just had to really understand my triggers and asking myself questions all the time about why those triggers are arising yeah I, I say this to my clients it's a blessing and a curse this work <laughs> oh yeah it's always there <laughs> always there love it because you're never the end praise you're oh, never no. the end and you're always in internal therapy with yourself it's like a constant monologue isn't it yeah why and- am i feeling this way where's it coming from not to over intellectualize because that's a problem as well but it is it does unlock this process of self constant self-reflection yeah it, it is and i feel like it's beautiful that I've been able to then recognize that compassion within others. And I feel like I'm almost like hyper aware of when I can see someone struggling or like, I can't, I can't explain it. I feel like, um, if I am in a close proximity with someone and they're feeling a deep emotion, I can't explain it, but I feel like that emotion is inside me. Mm -hmm. And like, if I see someone, even if I'm speaking to someone and they start crying, I will start crying and it's so embarrassing. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Or I will see say we're on a moving train and someone is like struggling and their shopping bag is broken and their food is rolled into the train tracks I will think about that for the next 15 20 minutes and just yeah. be like oh my god I hope they're okay I don't know that person yeah but almost like their emotion I felt has bled into me and I think I don't know if that comes from the compassion of being so mean to myself for so long that it's unlocked this kind of awareness of other people's emotions I don't know um but it's a lot it's a lot and it sounds like you're a real empath Steph a real empath in how you pick up other people's energies it's important to learn the tools to switch that off as well yeah I think that's probably the next kind of growth journey because even if I get criticism or for want of a better word like hate online oh do I feel it yeah and do I feel horrendous that I've made someone else feel that negative thought interesting so you're going straight back to them as well yeah and how it's made them feel rather than sitting in that space yeah for you yeah I I do a lot of work oh I've had to do this on myself it tends we tend to be good at our job you know coaches and therapists because we have that level of um 
empathy. Uh, my first job, I like threw myself into the deep end. I worked in a cancer hospital, um, delivering therapy and assessment to children primarily, and then also adults. And it was my supervisor at the time, a consultant clinical psychologist that helped me work through that. Otherwise you, you can end up moving through life carrying so much of other people's energy and yeah. I and especially in your space Steph and, and because you have that platform which can create that vulnerability and anyone can send you a dm or a comment or share their experience it's really important to learn the tools to be able to manage that it's a beautiful thing but you also don't want it to we're turning into our own session here but <laughs> no it's so true you don't it's want so it to true. consume you as well yeah and I think um I'm I'm trying to understand that and and realize that like me as one person that literally runs my whole social media like no one else does that like I need to be able to put my phone down and detach from it it's definitely a work in progress how have you found that in um in your events I really want to talk about stay sassy I really want to talk about dry disco and I really want to talk about Carews, which we are drinking now by the way um <laughs> I, I guess I was I've been following you for years. I knew you as healthy Steph Chef. I even came to your events when I was in my fitness influency world about 10 years ago, it must've been. Um, and when I've seen that those, these reels that you've done of like bringing these women together and doing dancing as well, which for most people can be like super triggering and out of your comfort zone. What led you to doing that? Was it that that those those beautiful qualities within you of wanting to help others and bring people together that um, made you start that that as a, as a mission or a purpose? Um, I think anything that I have pursued to date has stemmed from something in my personal journey and the kind of need for what I wish I had. Um, and since it didn't exist, kind of bringing that into the world because I felt like it. I feel like it should exist mm. um and basically I rebelled completely against dancing and performing I'd been in the industry for a little while realized it was terrible for my confidence the constant rejection and negative feedback and the pressures on aesthetic and all of these different things I decided to take a step away from it and um my nan was living with us at the time and she was suffering with lung cancer really it was just watching her deteriorate was horrendous so I was spending as much time with her as possible and she said to me why do you never dance anymore like you used to just dance around the hallway kitchen like why is that being beaten out of you yeah so I told her and she was just so sassy and like matter of fact and she was like it's really stupid <laughs> and I was like right told you I'd, I'm not used to tough love so I was yeah. like okay, <laughs> okay Nan what, what does that mean she was like well dancing was just you like you were dancing like performing is something that has always been a part of your being since you were able to walk so mm. why would you remove that so I started going to dance classes because I was like, do you know what? You're so right. Like, just because I don't want to work in the performing arts industry doesn't mean I can't still have this outlet. So I started going to dance classes and I started finding the confidence to share them online. And people were like, oh my God, you're amazing. Like really lovely comments. But like, would you ever put on your own dance class? And at first I was like, no, no, no. Because I would never want someone to come into my environment and ever leave feeling triggered or less than or unworthy or whatever it might be. Anyway, then my nan sadly passed away. And her catchphrase was stay sassy. So I called her the queen of sass because she was just amazing. She would flirt with her doctors. She would give me the tough love. My nan sounds like just she's exactly the same. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like you get to an age where you just don't care anymore. And you're just so authentically yourself that yeah. you don't filter for yeah. anyone. And yeah. that's just her through and through. Yeah. And she wasn't the most confident woman in the world. And she had her own hang ups and issues. But sure. to me, she was just such a special person so I was like I'm gonna do a one-off dance class to raise money for the hospice that cared for her that oh, made kind stuff. of just my mum's life a lot easier in terms of 
doing the things that my nan was embarrassed for my mum to do. And so I found the smallest venue that I could because I genuinely, I had this online following, but were they real? Were they real people? I have no idea. So I found a venue that I think it was around 25 people could attend. Um, We sold out tickets in like 15 minutes and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. We raised 500 pounds for the charity at the time. And it was such a beautiful event. And the way that I'd curated it was I wanted it to be like a walking in heels masterclass. So people would stand up and feel seen and celebrated and and just sexy basically. And then I wanted to teach a really easy, sassy, beginner friendly dance routine. And then we had motivational speakers come in to do a talk so that even if people couldn't get the dance routine, they would leave feeling empowered and energized and amazing and we had food there because I wanted to make sure anyone that had issues with food was then creating those kind of positive neural pathways of eating in celebration and a positive environment so it was this beautiful event we had a framed picture of my nan in the corner so she was there it was just really really special and lord did we cry because one of the activities was you had to write your first thought in the morning crumple it on a piece of paper have a snowball fight and then everyone picked a random snowball and then opened it and read it and we realized collectively the 25 people in the room every single woman in that room had a negative thought about themselves the first moment they woke up yeah so we kind of healed that through like chatting and different exercises and things like that but at the end of the event I turned to my mom and I was like this isn't something we can do as a one-off this is something that is so needed in this space and I think to give women that maybe used to dance but don't feel confident enough to or have never danced and want that creative outlet um we, we need to make this happen. So we grew from 25 people to 50 and now we kind of get 80 to 100 at every single Jeez, event. wow. And it is amazing. Like we refer to it as people walking in shy and leaving on a high. And there's people that their friendships that they've built, because a lot of people come alone. I don't yes. think people realize how many people attend alone. Like it is very confronting to go to your friends and say, I'm lacking in confidence and I've seen this event. I think I want to go. Yeah. So, so many women come by themselves and you watch these friendships be formed. Yeah. And my mum loves it. Like she's never missed an event <laughs> and she comes and like, she sees someone by themselves and she sees someone else by themselves and she introduces them and they, she gets them talking and she finds their oh, common, like she's amazing. I, she's, she loves it because it's her mum's legacy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, where it stemmed from it's it's kind of my only outlet now for performing and dance and everything like that but I love it that I've met some of my best friends through it um my mum has too and and it's just such a powerful and welcoming environment that I just can't imagine my life without stay sassy now I love that so much Deb. and like you said you know it might be the only way that you're dancing now but it sounds like in such an authentic way that's built for you that you're getting to enjoy that and yet you're giving so much back to others as well. They sound, I've got to come to the next oh, one. Oh, you need to. <laughs> they sound you absolutely need to. incredible. There's nothing like bringing women together in that way is that I've done my first two now live events where I'm um, same with you they've come alone felt really shy I've done a really similar exercise and that I got them to write down how they were feeling at the beginning of the event and then how they were feeling at the end of the event and comparing that is unbelievable mm. you know coming and they're feeling so anxious so stressed so nervous to at the end like with your with your community feeling so empowered and like buzzed and proud of themselves there's nothing like it no and I think like you go back to kind of I don't know refer to it as the stone age when we were cave women but we would gather in circles whilst the men were out hunting women would be there and I don't think there's the space now for women to really be open and vulnerable and completely unjudgmental and also like even just when we split into small groups and half the group is dancing and half the group is cheering to scream and be screamed at with just sheer appreciation and celebration is just 
unparalleled. And I just don't think that we have enough outlet in our everyday lives to do that. No. And it's just so special and I love it. And yeah, I just, I'm so in awe of everyone that walks through the door as well. Well, you've created that space for them. But as you said, it's great. It's like, as we were unlearning everything. Sorry, getting on my feminist type now, but everything that the patriarchy kind of built up for us and yeah. pushing us in competition with each other, because exactly that back in the day, we were in circles, we were supporting each other, we were healing each other. And it's amazing that now we're starting to create that space again for us um, in coming together with like-minded women. Love it, Steph. And then to build on that dry disco. Yes. So that is something that the first conversation started in 2022 yeah um and then it kind of manifested and came to life in 2023 so there is an incredible woman called Millie Gooch in the sobriety space I call her queen of sobriety because she is <laughs> around my kind of early sobriety days she released a book called the sober girl society handbook it's like this big pink cover it's gorgeous anyway she sent me that book and I read it and I just was so inspired by everything that she had to say and then I was on a podcast in 2022 and she was the guest after me but one and I was like well I can't hang around and just wait to meet her so I'm just going to ask the podcast host if they just like put her in touch with me yeah anyway so my goal was to do a stay sassy ex sober girl society event yes so that's the community of women that she's built and I thought bringing it together would be amazing and like a celebration of two different communities both craving confidence and connection so then we had a Zoom call and it was just going to be this like really low key one off event where our communities combine. And then she was like, so what kind of venue are you thinking? And I was like, oh, well, I, I always thought that, you know, a club would be so cool to do a stay sassy because loads of people don't feel confident enough to dance in a club. But then we can show them that they actually can. She said, oh, I've got contact at the Ministry of Sound. I was like, of course you do. Casual. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, should we drop them an email and see? <laughs> so anyway, we went for a site visit. And basically, if you hire the Ministry of Sound, you have to hire the entire venue. You can't just hire like a room. You have to like pay for the whole venue huge, and stuff. huge, no? Mahusev. Right. But we were like, yeah. Okay, great. Both, both of us are very much like, act now, think later. Like, let's just yeah. make it happen. Love that. And so we decided to do it. And rather than doing like Stay Sassy X Sober Girl Society, we came up with the name Dry Disco. Um, Carouse was kind of in the works at the time. So I thought it'd be a great kind of launch event for that. And then May of last year, we swung open the doors and made each different room have a different activity. So we had the main dance area was a Stay Sassy workshop to prove to women that they could dance in a club. We had a room upstairs that was about breath work. So that oh, if ever amazing. you felt anxious or uneasy you could bring it back to your breath even if it was on a hangover you needed those kind of tools and Great. we had an amazing woman called molly Bylet lead that we had um a pamper room in the kind of lounge area where people could because lots of people were like what do you do to wind down so we wanted to kind of have that kind of element in one of the rooms and then we had food stands we had a boozeless bar with loads of drinks alternatives and then we ran two panel talks one around confidence in general and um one around kind of alcohol-free journey sobriety and we had different speakers come on board for that. And then we had a big dance party at the end and it was just incredible. That sounds amazing. And it was such a huge success that we did a Christmas party last December. Yeah. And we're actually going for a site visit um, again next Thursday for events this year. Oh, so it's going to be repeated. Yeah, I think so. I think that's amazing. It's so great that you've combined that because if we were thinking about alcohol and try not to be too biased now, but like for me, I think clubbing, that would just be automatic in me that like I'm drinking, especially when it comes to like dancing and having yeah. the confidence to do that. So actually being able to combine that now is amazing Steph and just giving so many people the comp we keep coming back to that word but it is the confidence to be able to go out or go out and go alone to these events and be sober and also being 
in in female energy I think it's so powerful and lots of people say would you ever open it up to men I think if we were going to do a mixed event it would be under like a different name and a different bracket but for us it's so special that it's all women because you just can't explain it you just feel freer to really you just feel more free to really be yourself and go by yourself and know that it's going to be a safe environment and I think that's what's so special um and yeah it's just incredible and I'm really excited to see kind of where it goes so am I what's been the feedback from that from those first couple of events that you've done it's just been really positive people saying like I never thought I'd be able to go clubbing sober I never I've made really lovely friends um just different people love different elements of it as well I think because there was so much going on in terms of like the dance classes and the breath work and even hearing people's real life stories and having those kind of like bathroom girl moments completely sober I think is really special and a lot of people came by themselves which means you've got no choice other than really throwing yourself into the immersive experience absolutely an experience that you'd usually pair with alcohol exactly amazing talk to me about Carew's so Carew's was kind of a love project that started in lockdown um I had been sober for a while now and it was around the time where everyone was on zoom quizzes getting drunk oh yeah um and I realized that I didn't really have a drink of choice that I would want in that environment other than water like I didn't want any of these alcohol free alternatives on the market that were really botanical and full of preservatives and chemicals uh didn't really crave a fizzy drink didn't want to make a fruity cocktail so I was just like "Mm, what would I want so I kind of just started thinking about how the non-alcoholic spirit market was brilliant that it was coming to fruition and and expanding and all of these choices were coming but I just felt like there was a lot missing from it and we kind of saw the rise of nootropic and adaptogen ingredients in the kind of gaming space and the energy drink space and these plant-based extracts that can help your body adapt to stress so things like cbd drinks and all of that kind of stuff i saw the rise in energy drinks and and kind of cans and i was like why is this not being fused in the non-alc space yet like i was so confused and i was like it would just make sense like if you're not going to drink because how i saw it was if i was going to drink it was either to to build me up to have confidence or to wind down to feel relaxed yeah so i was like there must be some kind of way that we could create two different flavor profiles and mood enhancing elements that one's for when you wind down and one's for when you want to go out and party so put it on my vision board I just laminated a picture of an already released non-alcoholic spirit and I was like yeah I'm gonna do it Steph knows how to manifest guys I love it (laughs) I bloody love it so that's what I did and I messaged um like I said when I've got an idea I tell everyone because I'm like it's happening so yeah. yeah so I messaged my manager at the time who was kind of like a second dad really he kind of nurtured my social media career for the last what five years at that time um and said I really want to release a non-alcoholic spirit and he came to me and he said the next day I think it was I've really been researching into this area and I think it's really exciting and I'd love to support you on this venture so like Mm -hmm. count me in and I was like what this businessman wants to support me. Wow, I must have a really good idea. So then I ran into my kitchen because I was living with my family at the time. And I was like, I'm going into business with Andrew. And my dad was like, what for? Like, talk to me, like yeah. what's going on? And so I told him and he was like, wow. He went away and researched it. And the next day came back and said, I've done the numbers and this is really exciting. Cool. I want in. So I was like, cool. okay. Told my brother and he was like, well, if dad trusts you, I don't trust you, but I trust dad. <laughs> so I'm in as well. And I was like, okay, cool. We've got the team. Now what? Yeah. 
so I came up with the idea and the concept and then came up with the name and it was genuinely I, I researched so many different varieties of words around alcohol drinking and I wanted it to have meaning like everything I do I want it to have purpose I want it to have meaning I want to have a, a story behind it anyway I found the word carouse which is an old English word for a noisy lively drinking party and we just spun it to spell the same but it's pronounced carouse as in like no booze carouse and that's where the name came from so I wanted to incorporate cool. a noisy lively drinking party a drink that you would have for those environments and then we went into development for drift which is kind of a blend that would make you feel relaxed calm and at ease and then a blend for uplift which is a completely different flavor profile that would be kind of more assisting towards the energizing feelings that kind of soft buzz and I didn't want to replicate a gin or a vodka mm. so I thought anyone that had given up alcohol for reliance issues or dependency they're not going to want to drink a like for like swap it would be triggering it would be yeah. one step away from the real thing I j my my feeling was I just want a health conscious delicious drink that tastes good at its core rather than trying to replicate alcohol which nine times out of ten doesn't taste that great anyway no. we just drink it to get drunk so yeah. I wanted something that was enjoyable yeah. that could be enjoyed straight on the rocks mixed with a soda water or mixed into a cocktail and still hold its flavor um and then we released early well late may early june last year dry disco was kind of the first time that people outside my family tried it in a live drinking environment really yeah it took over the bar at ministry of sound i went up to the bar at ministry of sound and ordered my own drink oh Steph, and it was what just a moment oh it was amazing and just the last six months since launch has been an absolute whirlwind and for the first time in my life, I think I'm just really excited about the potential of something that I've dreamt up. And I just, I'm so passionate about it. I could talk for hours and hours and hours. Well, you're always more than welcome <laughs> to. And I can actually, I can really vouch for it that it is absolutely delicious. I'm drinking it during this podcast. And I was saying to Steph, as I was pouring it before we started recording, what I love about Carew's is how you've paired it with intention. Like, and our mind loves paired association. So, you know, if we put on a certain scent, then it means that we're going to unwind or we put on a certain perfume, it makes us feel confident. And it's the same with drink. And I was saying to Steph before we were recording, especially in lockdown, but also sometimes now, my way of kind of differentiating the day to the evening when I'm working from home is I'd pour myself a gin and tonic. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I've, I've associated gin and tonic with unwinding and no longer working and no longer working with clients. So to have this, like I'm so excited to have this in ho at home and be like, right, well, my Carew's drift now mm -hmm. is for me to unwind. And then next time I go to an event or I'm doing dry January at the moment and I want to have a Friday night drink and then I'm going out or something, then uplift is gonna be perfect. And your mind will pair it with that. It's so clever how the mind works. So I love that about it. And I love the fact that it actually tastes really good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And and we really did, I mean, we delayed launch by a really long time to make sure that we got it right. Yeah. So for example, with Uplift, which you haven't had a chance to try, but I will make sure that you do, is it's a blend of ginger, uh, citrus fruits, the uh, adaptogenic ingredients are maca, guarana, and ginkgo biloba, um, as well as a subtle chili extract. And for me, you know that warmth you get when you drink a whiskey or a vodka yeah. or something, and it's just like gentle down the back of your throat. And it's like, oh, I feel something. Yeah. I really wanted to achieve that with Uplift. I wanted it to feel adult, so it wasn't just like a lime cordial I wanted it to have such a complex flavor profile that it was enjoyable and exciting and even down to the packaging like I wanted it to look oh it's beautiful aesthetic and premium and luxury yeah. because I, do, I don't want to be embarrassed by not drinking I want to be proud of oh I'm rocking up to a house party and I've got this and I'm going to a dinner party and look how beautiful this bottle is I'm gonna pop this bottle open yeah. and that kind of thing yeah um 
anyway, we'd signed off on the recipe in 2021. And then the chili extract that we were using was completely discontinued everywhere. So then we tried to change it like for like with any other chipotle chili extract we could find and it just completely threw off the entire complexity of the drink and we had to go back to the drawing board and redevelop the recipes to make sure like I was not happy to launch them until I knew they were exactly what I wanted from the recipe from the design and everything and and yeah it's just we're finally there and it's very exciting and now you get to enjoy it it must be so hard I I would love to do a product as part of my business but I can't imagine that like waiting time because I just get so excited to launch stuff but it's actually been years in creation for you oh yeah like two and a half years of not being able to talk to anyone about it not like other than my close friends and family and I'd have loads of tastings I remember one of my mum's birthdays it was her like quite a big birthday and we'd gone away and there was maybe 15 of us in a house and one night we did a whole test testing of like all the different recipes and it was just amazing kind of getting that liquid on lips and people giving me their live feedback and it's been a really enjoyable process but from someone who has obviously been creative and a performer their whole lives to then be in a drinks environment as like a young female especially that is very like a male dominant industry yes and I feel like I have been the definition of fake it until you make it and like even to the point where um we were ready to go everything was lined up in the factory and then they said okay cool we just need your tamper seals which are the stickers that stop the bottles from looking like they've been opened and I was like oh yeah just remind me again what what's that (laughs) and so they they told me and I was like yeah yeah we'll have them with you by the like the design with you by the end of the day and we'll, yeah. we'll get them done yeah I sat for two hours with a compass a ruler and a pencil <laughs> and I drew it and then I found someone I think it was on Fiverr and I was yeah, like yeah. draw this up please <laughs> to, to this scale that I've measured um and I just did it myself and just I just had to learn and obviously it took me I don't know it wasn't six hours but say it took me six hours and it would have taken a professional like 30 minutes yeah I'm definitely learning like just say what you don't know outsource it and get there fast but at the time because we were such a small team it was like anything I don't know I'm gonna go away and freaking learn I love that attitude Steph like it's <laughs> so powerful it's really interesting you say that mine and my brother he always managed to come on this podcast in some way but our phrase for this year is action over motion oh I love it yeah we're both self-employed as well and you can do so much like thinking and when that perfectionism comes in and we're actually like no like put that aside take action exactly as you did you know rather than like freaking out and delaying that process and really thinking about it you're like right compass out yeah I'm just gonna get, get it done someone. and it's done yeah and I remember my I've actually got a video my boyfriend came in and he just like filmed my office that was just like chaos it was covered in paper and he was like what are you doing Steph and I was like I'm getting shit done and and I just I can't wait for the day when we're in retailers everywhere and I can oh, just post that video and be like how we started and how we are now I literally so. have no doubt about it with anything that you want to achieve with what you shared with me with your mindset and everything that you're doing being so like purpose-driven and there's such synergy between everything you're doing with Thank how you. you use your social media anyway and then how that led to stay sassy and then how that's led to your sobriety journey which has then led to Caruse which has led then led to dry disco like it's so amazing and it's you're so passionate about everything that you talk about plus you got this amazing manifesting abilities and self-belief that I have no doubt will be everywhere oh thank you thank you so you much. have been such an inspiration honestly Steph I knew this was going to be an amazing episode and it really really has been and I think there's so much that listeners will take away from this and everything you so kindly and openly shared with me if there is someone listening that's maybe thinking about 
questioning their relationship with alcohol or going on this journey and they're lacking the confidence in taking that first step, what would you say to them? What would be kind of your first three tips if you wanted to start becoming sober curious? Um, I think I'd start, I'm a huge advocate for pen to paper. Um, And I think I would start by writing a list of pros and cons of alcohol, what it adds to your life and what it takes away. Um, Really identifying what's not good and bad i hate that that terminology but if you are putting your 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 life your happiness and your kind of trajectory of where you want to be at the core is alcohol getting you there faster or slower and just really identifying that um speaking things into existence you don't have to say you don't have to label yourself at any moment to say i am sober i am completely abstaining from alcohol you can say i am giving this a go this is what I'm trying at the moment or even just trying to maybe not drink during the week and only the weekend and just taking it at your own pace I think it's so easy to listen to to someone like me that's been completely hardcore sober for so long and think that's what I need to do Mm. you need to find what works for you and I think sometimes by reduction or even just not drinking alcohol for maybe the month of January you unlock that superpower for a little bit, then you go back to drinking and then you see actually how it was um, impacting you. I think sometimes going back to drinking, it definitely in, in my early stages, but I, I did one night of drinking and I was like, oh my God, I don't like this anymore. Right. So it's almost like you've seen what the potential is without it. And obviously this is very much speaking for someone that doesn't have alcohol dependency. Mm-hmm. If you were to have one drink with alcohol dependency, you might completely go back to where you were. So sure. like, this is very much for anyone who is sober curious without that reliance. Um, but I think it is very much like challenging the societal pressures and understanding what's your choice and what has been pressured on you since you were 18. There you go. There are your top tips. These journal prompts are to build on what Steph already shared in terms of her three top tips to start examining your relationship with alcohol. So the journal prompts are as followed from today's episode. What resonated with you from Steph's story? How would you describe your relationship with alcohol? Why do you drink alcohol? What function does it serve? How do you change when you drink alcohol? How does drinking alcohol affect you, especially those few days after drinking? What do you notice if you don't drink alcohol? Do you want to change your relationship with alcohol? If so, why is this important to you? How can you make a step towards this change? And how can you hold yourself accountable? As always, the journal prompts will be in the show notes below on my website. And if you want them first, subscribe to my mailing list at www.lucyspicer.com. Steph, thank you again. I'm going to link everything in the show notes in terms of how you can follow Steph, how you can join Stay Sassy, how you can, is there a wait list for Dry Disco or how does that happen? We have a subscription on our website at the moment so I can send you over everything and then you just sign up your email and the moment we have a date in a venue we will let you know. There you go and also to buy Carews because let me tell you you need it and it's going to be all over my socials. <laughs> Steph thank you so much again and I can't wait for this episode to go out and to hear everyone's feedback because I honestly think it's incredible what you've been able to share today and how many tips and tricks there's been within our conversation thank you so much for having me and thank you so much to everyone for listening you've been listening to the journal with me lucy spicer i really hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that you feel uplifted and inspired to create change in your own life please take a second to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone who you think needs to hear this story to find today's guest and to download the journal prompts visit the links in the show notes 
And to learn more about the Lucy Spicer practice and how to work with me and my team, go to lucyspicer.com. For advice and a daily dose of motivation, find me over on Instagram at lucyspicer underscore. Thank you so much for listening and I'll meet you back here for the next episode.